Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 353. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I'm in the process of, I'm in the process of like redecorating my entire apartment. So I may sound a little bit more echoey than usual because like I'm, I'm, I'm moving my rug. So like I moved my, I got a new bed and we put our rug underneath the bed to, to sort of uh-huh. separate it a little bit more. It looks really nice, but I need to replace the, the rug in the living room uh-huh. area. So I'm working with a lot of hardwood floors right now. Gotcha. gotcha. So, so I may sound a little bit more echoey than usual, and I apologize for that. The 2020 Slamdance Film Festival is happening as we speak, and this week we'll be taking a look at three movies screening there. Murmur, Residue and Beware of Dog. I'll also be giving my impressions on a couple other things that I've seen there so far. And we'll also be going over some of watching on the watch list. New releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Just two quick housekeeping notes. New Ryan Watches movie is dropping this week. We're on a roll. We're on a roll, baby. Watch out. <laughs> we are on a roll with this Ryan Watches movie thing. New Save by the 90s is going to be dropping on uh, this week as well. Today, actually, as you're listening to this, there's a new Save by the 90s that dropped. We talked about January monster movies. Uh, it was a fun episode, so be sure to subscribe to the Save by the 90s feed for that. You can also go to filmpulse.net and give it a listen. It'll also be on our YouTube channel and all of that. All right, with that, I think we can jump into some slam, slam dance, slammy dance stuff. Now, Right at the top, before we get into our first movie, I must say, so far, now I haven't seen everything at Slam Dance yet. There's still a couple other things that uh, I want to check out. I, I got to say, I think this year is a pretty good year for Slam Dance overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the past, uh, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe it was last year, maybe last year and the year before, I really wasn't impressed with like anything I saw at Slam Dance. I think I think Slam Dance had a couple of years where it was just like a little meh, but I think this year is has been a really solid year for them. I think it's uh, almost a return to form for Slam Dance. Really yeah. really interesting picks for them. Which movie do you want to start with? Start did the uh, murmur. Let's knock that one. You were out. reading my mind. Because I already kind of talked about this on a prior episode. So yeah, so you you saw this at the Vancouver International Film Festival, right? Correct. So we won't we won't get too deep into this one because you've already did talk about it in a previous episode not too long ago, it was a couple months ago. This is directed by Heather Young, also written by Heather Young. I have a synopsis here: When an elderly dog is scheduled to be euthanized, Donna decides to take the dog home to fill the emptiness she feels. Donna begins to take home more and more animals, and she is soon in over her head. I guess I'll start Mm -hmm. this one off since uh, you you also wrote a review for this one too, right? Yes, I pretty much did. I did everything you could do with this movie. Yeah, you have a written review. Yeah, written review, podcast. So I remember you telling me that you thought I was going to like this one. Was I wrong? No, you were not wrong. You were 100% yeah. right. I, I really, really yeah. enjoyed this this one. Good. Pretty much all aspects of it, starting with Charlie. Oh, boy, did I love Charlie. Mm-hmm. He was so... This dog. So, if you're not familiar, 
if you're new to the show, I'm I'm a huge dog lover. So any any movie that involves dogs, I'm pretty much on board with, except for like those what those like a dog's purpose and all of those those ones. I can't get behind those. But this one, yeah, I I, I really loved Charlie and all the dogs. I thought that uh, it was sad in a lot of ways. It was this this woman who to step back a little bit, she gets she gets a DUI. And she's like on some kind of program where she has to, I guess, get a job. And she gets a job at this animal shelter. And I guess she's trying to to reconnect with her daughter who something happened. They don't really get into it too much. Something happened that her daughter basically disowns her and wants nothing to do with her. So she's a single lady living on her own. She seems very lonely, but she's also trying to make a positive change in her life. She's, you know, working at this animal shelter. She's trying to give up drinking. And she, I, I think she just has like this kind of void in her life. And she ends up adopting Charlie because she she gets diagnosed with a heart murmur. And Charlie also has a heart murmur and uh, among other health issues. He's an elderly dog. And so I think she for ha, has this sort of instant bond with with him and she adopts him and this just uh leads to a slippery slope where she, she just starts adopting these dogs left and right all over the place and cats and and hamsters and tr- everything everything and just not really even adopting some of them just taking them <laughs> yeah just taking them Without telling anyone. yeah so so they the work lets her adopt charlie and then they let her adopt a cat and then they're like that's it like I guess I guess that's probably a common thing. I would imagine that really is a common thing where you have employees at these shelters who truly care about these animals and don't want to see them suffer. And I, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I, I imagine that if I was working in a place like that, I would want to just take all these animals home too. Yeah, 100%. I think I would every time, every time I'm like, this, per, this dog here is scheduled for euthanasia today. Like, I'll, I'll adopt it. I'll take them home. I think it'd be really tempting to do that. And I'm sure that that's a really major problem where people have good intentions and they end up adopting all these animals and can't care for them. And it, it ends up, they end up being in a worse environment than if they were just at the shelter. But anyway, that that's sort of what happens here. She basically trades one addiction for another and it, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad, but it's really really well crafted i love how at the beginning she is like in complete control when she just has charlie she's like cleaning all the time things are looking so good man she's happy she's cleaning all the time she's feeling good she's not drinking but as it progresses you just when they go back to her apartment you just see it like slowly get more and more disgusting where it's completely out of her control. She's not even bothering to clean anymore. Yeah. It just gets worse and worse and worse. I do feel like, was it, was her name Crystal? I do feel like she was, she was a snitch because I feel like, like with Don, like she just needs some help. You just need a little bit of help. She got into like a little bit of a depressive state there. Things kind of got out of control, but to help her but instead she's just like she didn't say anything the next thing you know mm-hmm. they're coming and taking all of their animals away it's like god damn it crystal fucker yeah like like we said at the top charlie is an elderly dog and i mean going into it she she knew that 
Charlie wasn't going to live very long. And, but that, I mean, even knowing that going into it, it, it doesn't necessarily help, you know, it, it doesn't help ease the, the pain of losing a pet. And once things get out of control and Charlie gets really sick and she needs help, she gets one of her coworkers to come in. And when her coworker sees the state of her apartment, yeah, they, they end up inevitably taking all the dogs and, and, and animals. But I feel like you could leave like one or two, right? Like why, why take, why strip her of yeah. all of her pets? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how things work in Canada. Cause I was also confused that she's, you know, a DUI charge and she's still allowed to have alcohol in the house. But that was a little strange yeah, too. Know. Well, they did, they did take away her license though. Yeah. But you get one house visit and she's in jail and they don't even need to come in your house. They can just see alcohol outside your house or through your front door. Boom. You're gone. You're in jail. I often wondered what Charlie thought about all the other pets when they were introduced. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> uh, he, he just seemed so happy when she first adopted him. And then as it progressed, he was just like, I don't know if it was his dwindling health or just like him being overwhelmed with all the other pets. Because I imagine that was not good for him. No, to be, I imagine. Yeah. Being, being older like that. It, just the constant yeah, stimulation. You were kind of used to this very, because she was a very quiet person. She wasn't doing a whole lot. He just hung out. This, you know, perfect situation here for the two of them. And then this poor guy, you know, animals, more and more animals just start, and a variety of animals turns into a menagerie mm-hmm. inside of that apartment. And he's just too much for him. He just wants to chill, watch his shows. That's it. Yeah. While she vapes. Overall, I thought it was uh, pretty great. I thought all the performances felt very natural. There's a there's a large emphasis on realism with this movie. You see a lot of the things that happen in the... It's a shelter, but it's also like there's like a vet, like a veterinary clinic attached to it. And maybe, maybe all shelters have a vet that that, perf- that does stuff. I don't, I'm not sure. Either, yeah. way, either way, you see a few... A few procedures happen with with the animals, which at times is a little little rough to watch, at least for me. Well, then even the the scene where they dispose of the yeah the euthanized dogs. Oof. Thankfully, thankfully, like you couldn't see them. No, but you knew. Yeah, you knew what it was. You know, it was still hard, but I thought it was. I thought the the teeth cleaning scene was actually kind of fascinating to watch because I, I take my dog in to have his teeth cleaned every couple months. And, uh, I've, I've I never, did. I've, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know dogs got their teeth cleaned. Yeah. So I have an Italian greyhound and they, they're known to have teeth problems. So we have to get his teeth cleaned or else they all like rot. He, he, he lost, I mean, he's old, he's like 13 years old, but he lost, uh, like, I don't know, eight teeth or something. He lost a lot of teeth. He had to get a bunch extracted and his tongue hangs out usually. It's like Charlie. Not not as bad as Charlie, though. I don't think Charlie had yeah. any teeth. No, I don't think. Maybe like one or two. Poor Charlie. That. I loved Charlie. Yeah. Not long after this movie, my dog got uh, diagnosed with a heart murmur. Oh, really? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. yeah. You can't tell, though. <laughs> <laughs> it has not slowed her down at all i think that this movie just sort of reaffirms that dogs are the most wonderful innocent creatures very helpful in moderation like most things i don't know if i've seen uh 
animal hoarding sort of represented in movies before. And, and the way that yeah, I, I think, I think the way that, that it's represented here is, it feels very, very realistic. Yeah. Everything feels very realistic. It's very, even the performances, even with like the, the, the main character, uh, Sam McDonald, like her performance, you can tell that she's not, this is kind of a, a non-actor working in this role, but it doesn't, it doesn't detract from the movie. I think it actually helps it. One thing that I notice is like a lot of the interaction she has with like the vets and stuff just feels very real. And like all of her interactions with coworkers feel the the dialogue just seems super organic and really, really solid. Yeah, cause there's, there's a number of times where you just kind of like it, it blurs that line, you know, that, that fiction documentary hybrid style where it's like, it just feels like she's at a, like a therapist meeting. Like, I don't know if this is like, it's something that was like written for the movie or if this is just, she happened to go and the camera's there alone with her. And this isn't really scripted in any way. It's just a natural occurring sequence. I don't know, but it was really excellently done. I mean, uh, all of it, like even even like the, the just like the scenes of her working, like spraying out the, the the pens and like doing all of that stuff. Just it it felt very documentary esque. I lo- really love the framing in this too. Just how oh, yeah. how everything was shot. I mean, it's just the the framing was just so expertly done. So Phenomenal. yeah, hundred percent recommend Murmur. Be sure to check this out whenever. Hopefully, it gets picked up for release this year because it's it's really good really excellent i agree all right what do you want to dive into next beware of dog let's yeah let's string it to the next one not with the I dog mean, <laughs> i don't think there's any dogs in this no, movie. there are no dogs in this movie so it's really just the title that alone that it's kind of linking them uh, so beware of dog is written and directed by nadia bedzanova I have a synopsis here. Alienated in politically ambiguous Moscow, a young woman deals with severe OCD while her cousin in Berlin tries to build a romantic relationship ignoring her own condition. In a parallel New York City realm, a heartbroken boxer struggles with addiction, self-worth, and online anxiety, which connects all the characters on a universal level. So what did you think of Beware of Dog, Kevin? First of all, I was pretty excited for Beware of Dog. I've watched a number of Nadia Bedmanova's uh, shorts. Majority of them played on uh, No Budge throughout the years. So I was well acquainted with her work going in. And it has the added bonus of having Buddy Duress, who plays the boxer in New York, which anytime he's in a movie, he, sign me up. He reminds me of your brother for some reason. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like him so much. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it is, it reminded me a great deal of some of her of her shorts. The, like the swimming thing, she has a short called Headlong that felt like it, it was taking lifting that movie into this movie. And then there's another one called Things I Like About You, which is kind of the same thing, you know, like using what she does here in Beware of Dog. Is, she has, what is it, the Instagram stories? Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called? Yeah. She has those videos interacting in there and with the, the texting and then the, the phone calls. She kind of mixes all of that into the actual footage that's shot for the movie itself, which I thought was nicely done. Usually I have some issues with the way people use text and stuff in a movie. 
but I like the way that it was done here. I mean, overall, for the most part, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I, it wasn't 100% memorable for me. Like, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure what the, the thematic through line was. I also don't know if it necessarily needs one. Like, I was kind of having a, a debate with myself, kind of stuck on that, because I'm like, I'm not sure really what connects these three outside of their, you know, they're kind of struggling a little bit in their lives. But I just don't know if it sticks with me. I, I 100% agree. I thought that if it was, it was, it was solid, but I thought that it felt very disjointed. Like I, I wasn't sure. And, and like, especially the buddy duress connection, I was like, what is the connection here? Yeah. Because it seems completely disconnected from the other two characters and the other two characters, their only connection was that they're cousins and that they occasionally text back and forth. And sort of up, mm-hmm. update each other on their on their lives. And that's really the only connection that those two have. And I was like, okay, is it like is it like a mental illness angle that that that's the, the sort of commonality between these three characters? Because with Buddy Duress, it's not even it's clear that he has an addiction problem, but I wasn't really sure what his other issues were, other than he seemed like a major narcissist to me because literally all he does in this entire movie is talk about himself. Every bit of dialogue is him talking about himself which i actually thought was kind of annoying but so yeah the the connection between the the cousins i was like that just feels really loose because we don't even know with paula played by uh, paula noopling we don't really know what her deal is until later on in the movie too because everything yeah. everything seems fine with with her storyline it seems like it's sort of just a a lo- like a love story where she meets this woman in uh, like a museum and they sort of hit it off and start dating, but it's not clear what's going on with that until we find out that she's bipolar. And then with, with buddy duress, there's, there's, like I said, there's absolutely no connection until the very end, which to me, I was just like, when that moment happened, I was like, Ooh, that doesn't seem like a good fit. That doesn't seem like a good match up there. I, I, I don't know if I want that to happen. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh... I mean, the thing the the thing that I found most interesting was Marina's story. Yeah, because you have and, and it feels like hers is the most developed. It, it's certainly the you know, focus. Has, we spend the most time yeah, with her. She has this relationship uh, with this guy Sasha, who is the worst. And <laughs> yeah, he is. She's, she's kind of realizing that she has an issue, and she's not a hundred percent sure what it is even though to us, the viewer, or I would imagine most viewers like can spot it right off the bat and know exactly what it is. And so she's going through this, like kind of discovering what her, what her ailment is and what she suffers from. And then her trying to get help for that, because of course she's a little bit, she's a little bit scared, you know, how to move forward. And for good reason, because you see how, what happens when she goes to the doctor. Yeah. And then on top of that, she's looking to get into grad school. She's looking to move from Moscow to New York. So there's a, there's a lot going on with it, with her character. And I found it to be incredibly fascinating to meet up with a, a character who is just starting to develop obsessive compulsive disorder. Like it seems like it's not, maybe she always had it, but it seems to have gotten like progressively worse by the time the movie starts. And it gets worse as the movie progresses too. And so I thought, yeah. I thought that it was 
that was sort of the most endearing part of the the movie to to see how this disorder progressed in her and got like much much worse as it went on and how she sort of grappled with it and how she dealt with it and how it impacted her her life so i i thought that that was certainly the best part of of the movie and i like at any time it would move back to like buddy duress's character i was just like uh here we go this fucking guy yeah and that was a little bit disappointing because i kept expecting anytime they would go back to buddy duress i was like okay we're going to we're going to do more here we're going to learn some more about this guy or it's going to progress to somewhere but it it seemed like every time it got to him it was just it was the same thing it was just very stagnant he's really drunk or he's talking about himself yeah like you said him just walking around the city just struggling with life trying to get over this this relationship that he was in i I don't know i i just wasn't really impressed with with his storyline and found it to be slightly pointless and then with paula i think that her storyline was also slightly interesting but they they didn't spend i I felt like with her i mean I, i don't know this for a fact but it seemed like we spent the least amount of time with her character yes it it did feel that way and it felt like a lot of times when we were with her character it was just a montage of her and her new girlfriend yeah, it was either yeah, it was either a montage of the two of them developing their relationship and then having uh, like fights and stuff, or her when she was in her sort of manic state or depressive state, I guess depressive state. Yeah, laying in bed. Yeah, and the stuff in the bed. There, there wasn't a whole lot of nuance to her depressive state. It was really just like she's in bed. That's it. Breaking things, contemplating stuff like that. Which I thought, which I thought was pretty. That that was just unfortunate. I like because I, I I liked where her story was going too, and I just felt like it wasn't de- quite developed enough. Yeah, I mean, but that could play into that storyline where everything that's developing gets completely derailed for two weeks because of a depressive state. Right. I I meant more like not necessarily the relationship, but just like her her oh, yeah. her okay. her life yeah. overall. And like how how the relationship can get derailed through something like bipolar disorder, and where she she didn't want to tell her new girlfriend that that she had this because uh, she was scared that it would push her away and all of that stuff. I think that that's a, a, something that's a good topic to explore, but it just didn't. I just didn't think that they she did it enough. I thought everything else was like visuals the the music I, I liked all of that stuff i thought the cinematography was well done i just thought that it was a little bit lacking in the uh in the narrative department i also i the scene with the in the train station when she was like kind of stuck rubbing that dog's nose i, mm-hmm. I looked at i looked that up and th- that's like apparently a, a really popular thing like I read that like one third of everyone who passes through that train station rubs that dog's nose. But you can tell, you can see how it's warm. Yeah. They said in the, in the article that I read, they said that not only is it like completely worn off, but so many people rub it now that it's actually starting to disfigure the dog. Like it's, it's where you could tell like, not only was it like rubbed off, but it looks like it was like slowly being polished. Mm Mm-hmm. 
like it had like a high polish to it. The definition of the actual sculpture itself it's a it's a bronze statue of a dog and it's actually being worn away because so many people rub it as they pass by for for good luck uh there's also a, in that same train station there's also a rooster that people rub and the same thing is happening with the rooster where there's like the the definition in the feathers is almost completely gone because so many people are rubbing it love it <laughs> just a little fun fact i don't know i thought that that was a really uh, poignant scene so I, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about what, what was going on. I, I i didn't know if there was like a backstory with the dog like it was um <laughs> was it sergeant stubby or whatever like i didn't know if there was a a story behind that dog if it was like a famous dog it's not a famous dog it's just a dog it's a dog yeah so beware of dog um for me it's like i don't know this is this is a tough one we didn't we didn't give Murmur a rating, by the way. What, what an eight. You gave it an eight. Murmur's an eight. I'm a, Maybe eight and a half. Wow. I'm at like a I don't know. I'm at like a seven and a half on Murmur. What do you okay. what are you thinking about with Beware of Dog? Give it like a six, I think. I'm sitting at a six on this one too. I think that it had a lot of good elements, but I just found I've just found the story to be a little bit lacking. And, and as I said at the, the top, it felt just a little dis, disjointed for me. I did like some of the, the visuals, some of the montages I thought worked really well. And I just remembered one that I thought was very funny where she leaves the doctor's office to wait. And she just happens to walk by that room and she goes, oh, yeah. girl. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I thought that that was really, <laughs> that was a, a weird little because <laughs> that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, it just just the way that she said it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about residue. This is directed by Marawi Jarima. I have a synopsis here. Young filmmaker returns home after many years away to write a script about his childhood, only to find his neighborhood unrecognizable and his childhood friends scattered to the wind. We've had a lot of movies that tackle this this subject recently a lot mm -hmm. actually that, yeah that dealt with sort of gentrification and the dissolving of neighborhoods i think that it's kind of a kind of an important topic to be discussing right now and this one takes place in washington dc and this is another one of these movies that that sort of I feel like it also sort of blurs the lines between documentary. It was, no, I don't want to say documentary, but like fictional narrative. Autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a number of times where I'm like, is this, because the main thing about this is this young filmmaker that returns home and he's trying to write this script and everything. Like you don't really see too much of him working on this movie. You see, like he's telling people that he's working on a movie about this, the neighborhood and everything you don't really see him working on it that often. So there does come a point where you, you kind of, you're thinking to yourself like, okay, is this just everything that was, that happened when he went back to work on it? Is that what the movie ended up becoming? Cause that's what we're seeing. Because also like his friends and stuff did not seem that into him making a movie, which <laughs> comes across pretty good in in the movie residue yeah i mean yeah. they the, the one dude flat out like oh man that scene where he tells him about his little his little idea that he has mm -hmm. Oof. 
Have you ever been like that destroyed by a friend? No, I don't think so. It's pretty heavy. So this, yeah, in a lot of ways, this is uh, this is basically an autobiographical film. It's it's about him. He actually did go back to Washington in D.C. in his uh, in his na- old neighborhood, and he tried to write this movie, and he wanted to reconnect with a lot of his childhood friends, and he found out that a lot of them were displaced moving out of the area or some of them were in jail. Some of them died. And there was one, his best friend who he just couldn't find. Like he just straight up had no idea where this guy was. He could not locate him anywhere. Nobody seemed to want to help him. And it seems like to my knowledge, he never found him. Like he just never found this guy. Yeah. Which is a really interesting thing about this movie where like that's, that's a, big thing throughout is him trying to find this Demetrius is, you know, his best friend. He finds everyone else from the group really, or he at least knows what happened to him, what's up with them, where they are. But not only does he not find Demetrius, but like no one wants to talk to him about Demetrius. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it raises a lot of really interesting questions. Like what, what's going on with Demetrius? Where, what happened? Yeah. What happened to Demetrius? The thing that immediately struck me when he returned home was, I mean, the, the the gentrification is immediately evident, like from the moment that he goes back into the neighborhood. And I love the scene when when he's just sort of, Get it. <laughs> I love the scene when he's just sort of walking around, remembering the way that it used to be. And then he finds that like rocking chair that's sort of out on the, on the, the curb as like trash where it, it becomes very quickly evident what the the meaning behind the title residue is where you have these like remnants of the past that that remain but it's like it's all been washed over it's it's all been sort of scrubbed clean and the the memories of what that place once was and how important that how important a neighbor, that neighborhood was to a lot of people is being wiped away. And I thought that how that was represented in this movie was, was done in a really thoughtful and artistic way. And I, I really, that, that was one of the things that struck me the most about this movie. Yeah. And I do really like the, at least it was for me, it was a very disorienting endeavor where it, like the visual, like it goes in and out between you know like his memories mm-hmm. and like the actual present day sometimes they bleed together yeah sometimes you're, and not even you're sure. never 100 percent. Sh- yeah because at first like when they first showed that kid i had no idea that that kid was him yeah because and i'm just like oh okay uh, yeah there's a kid there i thought that that kid was like if that, that was like a present day kid uh, i didn't realize that that was sort of his memories bleeding into reality Especially because there's a scene where they show the kid playing with a fidget spinner. And that really threw me for a loop. I'm like, there's no way fidget spinners were around back then. What's going on yeah. here? <laughs> so but then I think he uses it because there's a couple of things in this movie that just floored me. And I think him using that towards the end really got me with uh, when he visits his friend. That was the yeah. In prison. I, the way that he does that is just phenomenal. I had that written down because uh, I really wanted to make sure that I didn't forget to mention that. I think that that was by far the best scene in the whole movie. How he how he structured that and how he presented that when he goes to visit his friend in in prison and talk 
and, and re, like sort of catch up with him and talk about the past and stuff and how he shot that I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Like just man, what does, a scene he, he did. Yeah. And he does the editing too, because it's this like perfect transition where you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't register immediately. Cause you're kind of thinking like, Oh, this is a flashback or cause you're not even really been introduced to this guy that he goes to see. So like, when they're out in the woods, I'm not even 100% sure who this guy is. And then it kind of, you know, it registers after a little bit once they get to talking. And it was just like the way to take such a, a relatively simple scene of just two people sitting across from each other talking and completely change it into something, you know, completely different, something captivating. And there is another transition too when his parents are doing the slideshow. Mm-hmm. And they come on the one woman and they're like, oh, look how big she is. And she's pregnant. And the mother's like, oh, she's pregnant with so-and-so right there. And then it's like that perfect transition to the to the hands mm-hmm. kind of dangling out of the car. I thought that that was phenomenal. It's just a lot of great filmmaking in this movie, I thought. He definitely takes risks with it. There's There's a lot of... Uh, experimentation happening with the visuals and you have this sort of like we talked about before where it sort of blends the it it almost looks like old like eight millimeter footage and you blend that in with what's happening now and he does a lot of like distortions and things like that with the camera and it it all it all works It, it all works pretty phenomenally to to tell this story of you know a, a neighborhood that is has been forever changed and the sort of fading memories of the neighborhood yeah but i also do it, it really struck me because a lot of movies is kind of you know discussing gentrification it focuses solely on gentrification which the main character, Jay, like a lot of his focus is on gentrification. He's really, you can tell he's like seething underneath <laughs> yeah. all these white people. Like he is fucking pissed. But the interesting thing is, though, is that like all of his friends, the people that are still in the neighborhood, they don't really seem all that concerned with it. Like it's, it's reality. They're dealing with it. They're trying to, you know, do the best that they can. But they seem more so pissed off at Jay. Mm-hmm for kind of like an abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think the, the, the sort of the plight of the main character is it's uh it's an interesting one because he comes back and you know, this is, this is his hometown. This is where he's from. And I think that it, no matter where you move to, I think that there's always going to be a connection you have to the, the place you're from. And when he comes back, not only is he, does he feel alienated by the neighborhood itself and the, the the rapid gentrification that took place? But he's also alienated by everyone who lived there who sort of ostracizes him for for leaving and going to L.A. I mean, I think that they all sort of took offense to that, like, oh, well, big man, big man going out to Hollywood, you know, coming back. Yeah, like, it, and it brings up the interesting because there's always that. um essentially this discussion when it comes to storytelling is like, you know, who gives the tell what story. And even here you have someone that's from the area, right. 
and they get they come back and he's like, I'm going to tell the story of this area. It needs to be told. And the people that stayed there the entire time are just like, who the fuck do you think you are? Right. Like, you, you left. Like, this isn't going to help. You're not going to do anything. Exactly. And I, and I think for, as far as the gentrification goes, I mean, often that gentrification is sort of a slow process. It takes years. And I think that the people living there had time to acclimate to it and just, they were forced to accept it. And whereas when he comes back, it's like a much more jarring thing. Like, holy shit, everything is different. What are all these white people doing here? Why are all these buildings being demolished and, you know, rebuilt? And there's nothing but like artisanal fucking craft brew, craft brew places and all that, all that shit. Co-pressed juices for $22. Yeah. I mean, someone who, like, I live in New York City, and New York City is in a constant state of gentrification, and, like, I, it's so evident. Like, I will be in, I'll be in a neighborhood, and then I'll come, I'll go back to that same neighborhood, like, a year later, and it'll be completely different. Like, it, it's, I don't know, I often think about gentrification and its impact, and I don't, I, I'm always sort of on the fence of, is it, is it a good thing? Is it bad? Is it like, what, is it somewhere, is it this gray area? But I, I think about gentrification a lot. So I like to see when it's represented in film. Yeah. And just to, to come back to an earlier thing, that, that scene that I talked about where, you know, Jay's talking about, you know, the movie that he's making and all this, and he's about to leave again. And his, his friend, uh, Delante, Played by Dennis Lindsay, he's like, yeah, I have an idea for for something too. And he's like, oh, you know, what what's your idea for a film or a story, whatever it is? And just that, the acting in that scene, just that was another scene that just kind of floored me mm-hmm. because it, you know, it kind of starts out and you're just like, okay, it's kind of like the same story that Jay wants to tell, and then it takes like this this little sharp turn, and you're just like, oh shit, okay, I see what his what his story is. And he just dismantled him. I mean, yeah. just in a matter of like one minute, just yeah. completely dismantles everything that he is. And it's just like, wow. I think Lord. I think another thing to, to mention would be the, the arc of Jay's character. When he comes back for the first time, he's trying to you know find his friends. He's trying to catch up with all of the, the people in the neighborhood and stuff. And as he spends more time there. He starts to like almost, almost regress into this sort of angry, like version of himself to the point where he becomes violent. He becomes this like angry, violent person. And I I find it interesting to see how this neighborhood can suddenly cause him to almost change who he is and the way he acts. All right. Uh, what are you going to give residue out of 10? I might give this an eight. I'm sitting in an eight on this one as well. This, this was just excellent. I, I really, this is, and this is something that I think I watched back on like Wednesday. Or so, and I pretty much thought about it every day. It's since then. Like yeah. I can't get over that prison scene. It re- like that's just really sticks with you. This one, it, 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 and this is a debut. Yeah. So, Which is wow. <laughs> Ridiculous. Wow. 
<laughs> what a what a debut, man. I'll briefly talk about two other movies that I saw at Slam Dance. I saw Jasper Mall, which is a documentary about the Jasper Mall in Jasper, Alabama. And mm-hmm. it's sort of a um, slice of life style documentary, a verite style doc that just follows the people who frequent and work in this mall that is failing. It's it's about to to close its doors. And I found it to be a pretty enthralling documentary just because I think it's important that we remember malls and the, the impact that malls had on American society and how they were just so ubiquitous and they were just so big and like everybody went to the mall, you know, that's where you did your shopping. You'd go to the mall, you'd hang out at the mall. And I think that focusing on this one particular mall and they spend a year there. So you see what happens at the beginning of the year. It's still, you know, it's on the decline, but there's still some people that that go there and there's still a large number of shops. There's all of the like anchor stores there closed. There was like a JC Penney's there and there was like maybe, a, I don't, I can't remember. Kmart, I think maybe was there and all of them closed except for one. I think it was, uh, I want to say Belk was the one anchor store that was still there. And by the end of the year, I mean, it's like just decimated. Everybody left and there are very few people left. And it was uh, pretty depressing, actually. I found I found the movie to be very depressing, but it was really well shot. And uh, I, I think that it works well as sort of this time capsule. I think if you go back, you know, 20 years from now and watch a movie like Jasper Mall, I think that it's going to you're going to get a lot more out of it than watching it now when malls are still hanging on by a thread i think because i think in the future we're not really going to have many malls at all i think the malls are pretty much going to be obliterated so i think going back in the future and watching this is going to be just sort of this really fascinating journey into something that that once was it's not all great i think a lot of people might find it to be a little bit dull because it just it just sort of wanders around and, and catches up with all these people. It really focuses on this one security guard guy who's who sort of takes care of everything in the mall. And he, he just loves this mall so much. And so it spends a lot of time with him. I, I, f- I think a lot of people may find it to be a little bit meandering. But for me, I like documentaries that just don't really have a clear purpose. Yeah. They just sort of follow people and places yeah. and stuff. Slice of life, life type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like those. So for me, this this is a movie that really works. So I I would keep an eye out for Jasper Mall. The other one that I saw is a, a horror movie called Sanzaru. This was a surprise. I I saw the trailer for this. We posted a trailer on the site last week, and I thought it looked somewhat interesting. It looked like a little bit of a supernatural haunted house type type movie. Where it goes, I did not expect at all. It goes to some really dark places. It made me jump a few times, actually, which is kind of rare. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it, so it's this really creepy, supernatural ghost story about this um, Filipino nurse who moves in with this uh, elderly woman who has dementia. And 
She is taking care of her, making sure she has everything she needs. And her nephew gets suspended, possibly expelled from school because he got in a fight. He was boxing with another student and he like really injured this kid during a boxing match. And um, so he moves in to this lady's house too. And some weird things start to occur in the house. It's a lot more complex than that, but I don't want to give too much away. Really, really well done. Uh, the, a lot of the sort of effects work like the ghost, the ghostly like apparitions and stuff are really creepy. It's almost like, um, shoot, what was that movie? Um, post tenebris Lux. Remember the scene with the, like the devil thing where it's like Mm -hmm. all red. It's sort of like that where it's like this all red figure. Uh, that's, that's really, really creepy. And like I said, it goes to some surprisingly dark places very disturbing at times. Uh, but I was really impressed with, uh, Senzaro. So overall, every, every slam dance feature that I've seen so far, I haven't seen everything. Obviously yeah. has been pretty damn solid. I would agree. Really impressed this year. I like it. I mean, it seems like every year we cover this, we always find like one or two movies that I'm just, and then they usually end up being like one of my, top 10 movies of the year mm-hmm. whenever they do come out do you have anything on your watch list that you want to cover this week no i'm done let's shut it down slam dance ex- exclusively okay yeah i think we can leave it at that uh there were a couple other regular things that i saw this week but nothing nothing really worth mentioning i saw terminator dark fate and i thought it was better than i expected it to be but it wasn't anything that would require a lot of discussion <laughs> it was all right and i saw edge of the axe but i'll have a review for that up on the site as you're listening to this probably that's an arrow release right. it's an 80s slasher movie it was pretty fun nice okay let's take a look at what we have in theaters this week we got the rhythm section that's getting a wide release i guess i think i mentioned that last week maybe it was in so. i think it was in limited release last week maybe it's getting a wide release this week we got Gretel and Hansel. That's the new horror movie. More more horrific spin. A more horrific spin on the classic fairy tale. Look at them. Getting creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm slightly interested in this. I think the uh the the director of this movie was like, hey, you know what? Like that 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 whole like folklore horror is is really big right now. So let's Let's go back to the roots. Let's do a let's do a fairy tale. Yeah, let's redo the original that were very disturbing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Do it, and we'll switch the names around. Yeah, just to make it different, a little bit different, something to set it apart from the rest. A little creative spin, if you will. Yeah. Either way, I'm slightly interested in it. Jose is also coming out, and that's pretty much it. All right. VOD this week, we got on the 27th, we got Flint, The Poisoning of an American City. Then on the 28th, we got The Siren, which is a horror movie. Get Gone, which is also a horror movie. Afterward, Toxic Beauty, which I think is a documentary. Yeah. Reveals the harmful health consequences of chemicals found in everyday cosmetics. Uh Uh-huh. Happiness, which is a comedy. 
And then on the 31st, we have Miss Americana, which is on Netflix. That's the Taylor Swift documentary. Okay. And Goalie, which is a, I think it's a biopic of sorts of a, of uh, Terry Salchuk, hockey player. Terry Salchuk. Yeah. Iconic goalie, I guess. I don't know. Never heard of him. What do I know about hockey? Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> is that where it stopped? Wayne Gretzky. Pretty much, as far as like players go. I like hockey. I I just I don't really watch it or anything. Yeah, I don't I can probably name like ten players, maybe. Blu-ray this week got Tammy and the T-Rex. Again, we have a contest open for that. Be sure to get your entry in. That closes on the 31st. So be sure to sign up for a free copy of Tammy and the T-Rex. The gore cut. Parasite. Another biggie coming out. There you go. Terminator Dark Fate. We got Slumber Party Massacre from 1982 is getting some sort of limited edition Blu-ray release. Who's putting that out? It's a steelbook. Putting out a steel book oh. on this bad boy. If you haven't seen Slumber Party Massacre, it's it's actually really good. As far as like the 80s slasher boom, this is definitely yeah. one of the highlights. Very Bad Things from 1998 is getting, I don't know if that's the first time on Blu-ray or what, but remember yeah. Very Bad Things? Steelbook. Not a steelbook. Steelbook. Let's Scare Jessica to Death from 1971. Uh-huh. Justine from 1980. That looks like it might be a vinegar syndrome, and it is. Justine, Justine, a matter of innocence. Uh-huh. Zombie Island Massacre from 1984. Black Angel from 1946. That's going to be on Arrow. That's an Arrow Academy release. Motherless Brooklyn. That's the uh, Edward Norton one from last year. Hard Soap. What does this say? Hard Soap, Hard Soap, Disco Lady. Hard Soap, Hard Soap, Disco Lady. Please tell me that's the whole fucking title. Well, incredible. so the first the first movie is called Hard Soap, Hard Soap, and then the second movie is called Disco Lady. It's a two-movie set. Vinegar Syndrome's putting this out. I don't know what this is. This, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly intrigued by this. I type in Hard Soap, Hard Soap, and IMDb. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's really strange. It looks like it's maybe a porn. <laughs> Might be a porno. Oh, there you go. Might be some kind of softcore porn type thing. That's, that's a difficulty. I'm running into you. Flesh-eating mothers from 1988 is coming out. Ah, that, yeah. That's also a vinegar syndrome release. Man, they're they're pumping them out. They need this. They, they have the whole year, too. Vinegar Syndrome's been really... They've been ramping up their output big time. The Tammy and the T-Rex is also Vinegar Syndrome, by the way. Jesus. Yeah. What you, I don't know. Can you sustain that? You can't sustain that, can you? Come on now. I don't know. I mean... The, like seven releases a week? They're all... The the thing with Vinegar Syndrome is I think that they they only do like small patches. So most of their movies are limited to like a thousand or 2000 copies. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps them like keep the overhead down and allows them to increase the output. Gotcha. 
because I think, I mean, they know that these are like niche releases. They're not going to be yeah. flying off the shelves, but I think that they've cultivated a pretty hardcore fan base at this point. And like, there's a lot of people who just buy everything that vinegar syndrome puts out. I think the same can be probably said about arrow. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Angel eyes from 2001. That's the Jennifer Lopez one. Harriet from last year. It's the Harriet Tubman one. A thousand and one erotic nights from 1982. I'm, I'm willing to bet this is a vinegar syndrome as well. It is. Yep. It is. (laughs) It definitely is. That's also a limited edition. Oh my God. There's a, there's like a lot. My name is Maisha coming out. We just, we have a review for that up on the site that just came out on a VOD this week. Clueless from 1995, getting a new Blu-ray release. I'm looking for like newer ones because there's just, there's so many, like this is a ridiculous beyond the door three from 1989. That looks like a vinegar syndrome berserker from 1987. Also vinegar syndrome edge of the ax from 1988. That's going to be on arrow. And that's about it. I mean, there's a million more. There's like tons, (laughs) but that's all I'll mention. What about criterions this week? Oh, we got two. We got Failsafe from 1964, Sidney Lumet, which I've never heard of this movie, and uh, it looks pretty good. Procedural thriller about uh, a mechanical failure in the military chain of command in regards to uh, nuclear weapons. So they go on the brink of a nuclear war with Soviet Union. That sounds pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, All About My Mother from 1999 getting the blu-ray with a bunch of uh special features in there director approve special <laughs> features did you hear that criterion is putting out the irishman I did, yeah marriage I did story. See they, they made a thing with i'm excited about the atlantics thing yeah atlantics the other three the other three i'm uh, whatever but i like the atlantics because the, the other thing that comes out of that is all of her short films, which have been somewhat difficult to find, are going up on the Criterion channel next month. So that's great. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about this. I think Atlantix is is a good choice. Honestly, I don't think the other three. I think the other three potentially could be good choices like 10 years from now. Like, I feel, yeah. like, I feel like with Criterions, there needs to be a little bit of... Uh, you need to let it sit, you know? You need to see what the cultural impact of that film was on filmmaking yeah, and society. I think you have, they already do a number of bomb box, so that one makes sense. Plus, you know, they, they need to make money too. They need to make some money. That's true. They just gotta make money. Everybody's gotta make money. I just think it's, I think it's too soon for a lot of those, for some of those. Is this the first Scorsese that's going to be on Criterion? Oh, I don't, I feel like that's something I should know, like right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to look it up because I thought no, about no, this. He does. And... Yeah. Yeah. He has the last temptation of Christ and the age of innocence. Oh, okay. Plus he already has, he put out his, uh, that, that world cinema project. Yeah. That he does yeah I remember that through Criterion. I was just wondering if like, there, there are maybe like rights issues where they maybe wanted to put out something like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, or something, and didn't get a yeah. didn't have the rights. Uh, yeah, to... I have a, I have a feeling that the, this studio is like, no, yeah, we'll keep those. 
Don't make money off of those. Yeah, those, those are st- you. you can have Age of Innocence. Those are still making money for them. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. If you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakes, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.